0: So I want to start today with an addendum to the episode last week where we talked about pediatricians and how pediatricians in general, not every single one, but the practice of evidence-based medicine as dictated by AAP, American Academy of Pediatric Standards, how this is a very corrupt model of medicine it leads to well moms like me coming home from the pediatrician in tears because pediatricians don't respect a mom's intuition on on anything really from breastfeeding to co-sleeping to the vaccine schedule and I, I talked about why this is why this is such a pattern why so many moms in our country have experienced what i've experienced when I've taken my baby to the to the doctor where pediatricians are just they're patronizing they're condescending they're disrespectful sometimes they're even anti-science about things like co-sleeping and vaccines and I talked about how this is because in order to, co- it's called CYA medicine. It stands for cover your ass medicine. In order to avoid legal liability for the medical advice that they give, they have to follow a standard of care. Standard of care is a consensus among certain types of doctors, in this case, pediatricians, about how to respond to a particular medical event. So the standard of care is actually a legal term because if you don't follow the standard of care, then you can be subject to a lawsuit where you can be held liable under the law for giving bad advice, for medical neglect or negligence. It's basically a medical malpractice lawsuit. And we talked in the episode about how the American Academy of Pediatrics, who sets this standard of care, is a compromised, corrupt institution for two reasons. They're compromised ideologically, meaning they promote gun control. They actively advocate for a so-called assault weapons ban in our country. And because of that ideological, that, that ideologically leftist agenda item that they embrace, they talk to parents. The very first time you bring your baby into the pediatrician after that baby is born, for us, it was three days maybe, after our baby was born. We took our baby into the pediatrics and they asked us if we had guns in the home. This is because they have an ideologically leftist agenda on guns and they're using the vulnerability that parents feel when they have a brand new baby to, well, create fear in the hearts of these parents so that parents act, or behave, or support a political agenda, um, an anti-Second Amendment, anti-gun agenda that the AAP also supports. They're ideologically compromised on transgender issues as well. They actually support um, helping kids transition genders. Their ideology is, is very leftist, very leftist. That's, that's only one half of it, though. We also talked about the financial conflict of interest that is inherent to the American Academy and pediatrics. The financial conflict of interest means as they're setting this standard of care, let's just talk about the vaccine schedule. For example, as they're setting this standard of care, they also have donors and partners which give them a lot of money, who give them a lot of money who are pharmaceutical companies, the, the literal vaccine manufacturers. So there's there is a conflict of interest between recommending a standard of care that includes a schedule of vaccines while you are simultaneously profiting or getting a lot of money from vaccine manufacturers. And of course, they ca- they claim the AAP claims that their partners don't necessarily, or don't, that their partners do not impact their scientific advice. But we know that that's not how human nature works. We, we know that that's simply not the case. So, you know, the AAP is partnered with Johnson & Johnson, with Sanofi, with Merck, with Novavax, with GlaxoSmithKline, with Sopernas Pharmaceuticals, just to name a few. These are, these are pharmaceutical companies that give money to the American Academy of Pediatrics. There's also organizations like the JPP Foundation that gives millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. They are a partner with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics says that they they analyze each of their partners to make sure that they have similar values and, and policy goals, even though they don't endorse everything their partners do. They do analyze them to see that there's policy alignment is their phrase. And this is true with multiple foundations, not this, just the JPP Foundation, but the Nicholson Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. These are radical leftist organizations that give money to the aap the aap claims that they have policy alignment with these organizations so the aap in general is absolutely they're a compromised corrupt institution they're corrupt ideologically in a couple of ways not only gun control not only transgenderism they also push the principles of critical race theory under the guise of it being equity and healthcare. equity is not equality it's not equal access it's not equal opportunity it's equal outcome which is discrimination, um, we, we, we know what the American Academy of Pediatrics has pushed when it comes to masking children in schools, when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine for children as young as five years old. Um, and pediatricians, of course, have to use the American Academy of Pediatrics standard of care or else they risk legal liability. Well, we talked about that. If you want to listen to the entire episode, that's, that's very brief blurb of what we talked about for an hour. We dived into the money behind um, the American Academy of Pediatrics and exactly how we've gotten to this place in medicine where pediatricians are so handcuffed by this legal liability and by these corrupt governing organizations that they actually can't use their judgment when they're, they're caring for our children. Sometimes they actually have to reject the science of the thing when they're caring for our babies because that's, that's how the system forces them to practice. Well, it gets even worse. Look what we have here. Now, before you skip the ad, just take a listen to this one. Gentlemen, we ladies know that our husbands use our skincare products when we are not looking, and that's fine. It's an even trade. So let me introduce you today to Genucel. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women. Until now, introducing the new Genucel Serum with plant stem cell-based technology for under-eye bags and puffiness. Let me show you my two favorite products. Here we have the plant stem cell therapy, anti wrinkle treatment. This is a must have. We also have the immediate effects too. Now, as I said, GenuCell has lots of products. These two are my favorites because you use the instant effects too, and you will see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. I guarantee it. If you order now, you can save big on GenuCell's risk-free introductory offer. Just go to GenuCell.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N. U C E L slash Liz. You can order now. If you use my special promo code L-I-Z Liz, you can save an extra 10% off your order today. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. Genucel.com slash Liz. Okay. So pivot down to Florida and we have this anti-groomer bill. It's called the parental rights and education bill. You might know it as the don't say gay bill. If you listen to the mainstream media, if you listen to the celebrities at the Oscars, um, down in Florida, governor Ron DeSantis signed the parental rights and education bill, which does not by the way, prohibit anybody from saying gay. It prohibits teachers from facilitating classroom discussions in kindergarten First grade, second grade, and third grade about sexual orientation and gender identity. It prohibits teachers and school administrators from hiding from parents if their child has a mental health issue related to gender identity, and if their child is transitioning genders at school, using different pronouns, dressing as the opposite gender, being called by a different name, um, undergoing any kind of counseling or quote unquote gender-affirming care, teachers aren't allowed to hide this from parents. So How does this tie into the AAP? Get this. The AAP tweeted today. I want to show this on the screen. This is what it says AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, stands with the Florida Associate, or the Florida AAP, in condemning this law and supporting LGBTQ youth in Florida and across the country. Pediatricians are here for you and will continue to advocate for you. Now, the Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a much longer statement. That's why the, the national AAP said they stood with the chapter in Florida. This is what the Florida chapter of the AAP says. This is, this. I mean, honestly, I was surprised when I read this because it's just so blatant. They said, quote, Today, the Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics representing more than 2,500 pediatricians in Florida. That's a huge number, by the way. Don't you wonder if your child's pediatrician is one of these? Release the following statement in response to Governor Ron DeSantis signing the Parental Rights and Education Bill, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, into law. The Don't Say Gay Bill, signed today by Governor DeSantis, will harm Florida's children in the classroom and beyond, said Lisa Gwynn. And this is she's a D.O., a doctor associated with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Quote, as pediatricians, we know that exploring one's identity is a normal part of child development. School should be a place that encourages this process for all children, offering a safe space for sharing accurate information by prohibiting educators from teaching lessons about sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, this law will deprive children of the opportunity to learn from trusted teachers and to feel supported in their school community. School should be a place that encourages this process, she said. The exploration of sexual orientation and gender identity, school should be a place that encourages this process. This woman is in charge of pediatricians in Florida, 2,500 pediatricians in Florida belong to this organization that thinks that schools should encourage a gender identity exploration process in children. Accurate information, accurate information, as we all know, is that gender dysphoria—if if a child doesn't transition, if they're given um, mental health care that actually explores the trauma that could lead to gender dysphoria—that 85 to 90% of the time, children outgrow the gender dysphoria by the time they're adults. But public schools are not teaching that. No, no. Public schools are teaching children that they can be kindergartners, first graders, second graders, third graders, that they can be a boy if they want to be a boy, even if they were born a girl. And the American Academy of Pediatrics thinks that school is the place to, or schools ought to encourage this process, offer a safe space for sharing information. This law, they say, will deprive children of the opportunity to learn from trusted teachers and to feel supported in their school community, to learn from trusted teachers. What are teachers going to be teaching kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third grade graders about gender identity and sexual orientation? It doesn't matter if you're trusted as an individual. This, this topic of conversation is not developmentally appropriate for children to be learning about. But the American Academy of Pediatrics thinks that this is it, this law is bad. They think that this that school is the place and teachers are the people to be teaching your small primary school child, the ones without their front teeth, the ones that still wear pigtails about gender identity and honestly it gets even worse than that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler show. So, as I said, an addendum to the episode from last week about pediatricians. So now, now we see that, well, pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatricians and all of their members are groomers. Groomers are people who actively want to separate children from their parents, actively want to destroy the nuclear family unit, want the state to be the ones to indoctrinate, to brainwash children, particularly in gender ideology, particularly in a way that allows adults, ideologically driven adults, to then abuse and exploit children in order to fulfill their own political agenda. The American Academy of Pediatrics are groomers. These pediatricians that belong to this organization are groomers. Ask your child's pediatrician. Do you belong to the American Academy of Pediatrics and do you embrace their transgender ideology? Do you think it's okay for kindergartners to be taught about gender identity for sixth graders to hide from their parents if they're transitioning at schools and for school administrators to lie to the parents about that information? Ask your child's pediatrician, ask them. You will be shocked by what you find. Traditionally, we like to think of three places, three three professions, if you will, as being elevated above the rest. We like to think of clergy being spiritually elevated above the rest. We like to think as doctors, they have a higher calling. They serve people. They help heal people. We like to think of teachers. They're they're molding people. They're guiding children. These three professions we've always thought of as being, at least on a moral scale, having this higher purpose, this vocation, this calling. And now we look, we look, we see these pediatricians that are completely compromised by their governing organizations. And we see the teachers' unions, Teachers union boss, Randy Weingarten. Keep in mind, she is the president of the union, the second largest teachers union in the entire United States. This is what she tweeted. Today, Governor Ron DeSantis signed Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. While the governor's intent is political, the non-political consequences are very real and very damaging. It hurts children, hurts families, and makes it hard for teachers to do their jobs. What do you think a teacher's job is? How on earth could it be defined as part of a teacher's job to talk about, to facilitate a classroom discussion about gender identity for a kindergartner, first grader, second grader, or third grader? I'm sure she has no answer to this. I couldn't ask for this because on this tweet, she only allows people that she follows or people that she specifically mentions to reply to her tweet, which is just the most defensive, hilarious thing when leftists do this, when they, um, they actively don't want any any pushback they actively don't want a discussion because they're afraid of they're afraid of the responses but i would like to ask her how does this make it harder for teachers to do their jobs what do you think is the job of a teacher when it comes to kindergartners and gender identity because you're in charge of the second largest teachers union in the entire country you're you're part of the uh, 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 of the apparatus that helps direct teachers and how they teach. So I'd love to hear what you think a teacher's role is in a kindergarten classroom when it comes to gender identity and how this law specifically makes it more difficult for a teacher to do their job. There's a third grade teacher in Texas who spoke to MSNBC and says that he's, he's, he's gay himself. And he says that he's heartbroken because he can't discuss um, going paddleboarding on the weekends. He can't discuss with his kindergarten classroom, the fact that he goes paddleboarding with his Gay partner, and um, this is the allegation about about the law that he makes.
1: Yeah, it, you know it, it's twofold. It really hits hard um, in my heart, professionally and uh, personally. Both uh, professionally, it, it truly makes me feel like um, I am not trusted as a professional. Um, I know my kindergarten standards through and through, and um, nowhere in our curriculum does it have anything about um, teaching sexual orientation or sexual identity um so for them to to say that that, that that's happening um that you know it's kind of crazy um but uh, we should be able to have discussions and and that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten and then personally because um you know my, my kids do have questions they want to know who the, uh, my partner is in pictures yeah. outside of my classroom and i should be able to speak to that so, so do you worry that you won't even be able to talk about your own personal home life? I mean, I have a child in kindergarten right now. I know exactly that my my child has two teachers, one of which has a daughter at home um, and is single. The other is married and has four children. I know everything about their lives because my kid tells me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Um, that's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I It scares me to death that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went out boarding this weekend because yeah. then they ask, well, what does partner mean, Mr. Bernard? And you know, I, I'm worried. Can I tell them what it means? I'm also worried for my kids. I have a little girl uh, this year who has two moms, and the kids are curious about her two moms. They want to know about her two moms. You know, if they come to, if they go to her and ask her about her two moms, and she doesn't know what to say, they're going to come to me and ask me. And then uh, you know, so what do I do? It just it opens up uh, for parents to really take some legal action against the schools and teachers.
0: First of all, yes, you can. You actually can say that now. What you can't do is you can't facilitate a classroom discussion about it. But you can say that you went paddleboarding with your male partner. I, I you can even say the word gay. Remember, that's not prohibited under this law. What's prohibited is facilitating a classroom discussion. And what what's really telling? Second, well, second of all, I think we should ask why, why would you? Why would you be talking to little children about? about your outside life? Why would you be talking to your kindergartners about the dates that you go on with your gay partner? Talking about your life outside the classroom isn't actually really pertinent to educating children, but it's it's very telling when he talks about forming this relationship, when he refers to them as my kids, when he says specifically that he posts pictures of his life outside the classroom in his classroom. The reason that he does that is to facilitate discussion. These kids would not be asking him about his date nights with his gay partner if there weren't pictures of him with his gay partner that he posts deliberately at the front of his classroom in order to um, beget these questions from the kids in order to tell them about his gay partner. I mean, you, you can understand what his motivation is. You can understand what he does in this classroom. You can understand the type of discussions that he actively tries to bring about. He structures his classroom in a way to beget these questions from kindergartners. This is indoctrination. This is agenda. This is... Brainwashing. This is grooming. This is trying to instill in these kindergartners information specifically about your, well, sexual agenda, your sex life, especially if you think that their parents or their religion or society in general doesn't expose them to information about sexual orientation or gender identity that you think they ought to be exposed to. That is agenda. That is ideology. And yes, in that sense, the bill does protect children from your sexual agenda, the advances of your sexual agenda and that's that's a good thing. The the biggest part of all of this is how scary it is to see pediatricians 2500 pediatricians belong to the Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatricians, to see pediatricians compromised by radical leftist gender identity. And then to see teachers also compromised by this, teachers who actively try to structure their classroom to beget questions about sexual orientation and gender identity from their students, uh, this is just creepy, right? This, this is actually the creepiest thing that of, of all the leftist agendas that we see right now, right? We see critical race theory we see just abject Marxism, we see socialism, we see communism, we see lies about the Black Lives Matter movement, we see demonizing capitalism, we see um, even the war on women, even even the the effort to abolish the nuclear family, All, all of these insidious agenda items or insidious ideologies that the left is trying to impose on our nation, this is by far the creepiest because this sexualizes children. It sexualizes children. Children are the specific target of this kind of ideology. And the point of it is to encourage them to think of themselves before maturity as sexual beings, to try to direct their sexual behaviors and inclination in a certain way, and to confuse them about gender and sex in general and the context of sex in general, to separate them from their parents. I don't I compared to everything else the left has done. This is hands down the the creepiest one of them all the absolute creepiest one. And I do wonder, by the way, if the people who like this teacher who claim that they can't say gay, which is not true, I wonder if they are actually that stupid, or if this is just a narrative that they think is going to be or a narrative that they think is going to change Americans' minds, change people's minds, parents' minds about this bill. Now, is this topic making you nauseous? There's no worse feeling than being nauseous. I get car sick. I'm all too familiar with that feeling. If you've ever experienced nausea, whether it's from the stress of the world, heading to space with Elon Musk, some bad Indian food, or even nausea brought on by anxiety medication, you know how quickly your body can turn from comfortable to crisis mode. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? That's why you've got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. So maybe you look at your phone like I do when I'm riding in an Uber. Maybe your prescription makes you nauseated on a daily basis. Maybe you have car sickness, a hangover, either way relief band is your solution plus the product is 100% drug free it's non drowsy and it provides all natural long lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as you need it relief band makes a great gift for any time of the year right now they've got an exclusive offer just for you for listeners to the Liz Wheeler show if you go to ReliefBand.com and use my promo code Liz you will get 20% off plus free shipping and no questions asked 30 day money back guarantee that's the best offer that you will find for relief band anywhere but you have to use my my code so go to r-e-l-i-e-f-b-a-n-d.com and use my promo code Liz for 20% off plus free shipping so at the Oscars the other night there were a group of celebrities including Amy Schumer who I, I saw this video and I actually wondered are are they just acting because that's what they are they're actors or are they actually this stupid we're gonna have a great night uh tonight and for you people in Florida we're gonna have a gay night Yeah, Yeah, so I wondered, are they actually this stupid? And then I remembered that it's Amy Schumer. So I think the answer to this is when it comes to celebrities, yeah, they're really that stupid. But the people that aren't stupid are the mainstream media pundits and the leftist political operatives who started this narrative because it's very easy to believe if you're stupid that this is true. And it sounds terrible if it actually were true. It sounds like something bad if it's actually true. Now, we know, of course, that it's not true. But what's, what's interesting in Florida right now is Disney... Is threatening Ron DeSantis. They are um virtue signaling, they're acting like the w wolf- woke corporation that they are. But I find it very interesting to observe this because DeSantis is handling this perfectly. He has all the power in this negotiation with Disney. Disney actually doesn't have any power in this back and forth. And DeSantis, I think, recognizes this, which is key in this kind of blustery, bluffing type of, um, well, virtue signaling, because for one reason, Disney is not going to move away from Florida. Disney can threaten DeSantis. They can, um, they can, condemn DeSantis. They can oppose this bill, but ultimately Disney's power lies in the fact that their product brings an incredible amount of revenue to the state of Florida. Their tourism brings an incredible amount of revenue to the state of Florida. They are, you know, one of the things that Florida is actually known for. However, they're not just going to pick up shop and leave the state. They're not going to leave Florida. They're not going to move away. They're all bluster in this case, all bluster and corporate wokeism. And so, Desantis is handling this in, entirely correct. It's not going to cause Disney to suddenly let to suddenly fire a ton of employees. It's not going to cause the people of Florida to suffer in any way, shape, or form when it comes to their livelihood or their paycheck or their job. Disney has no power in this interaction, and so Desantis should not back down um, at all. In fact. I wanted to mention, I've, I've been wanting to mention this, and this is a perfect time for this. This is actually why Jeremy Boring at The Daily Wire, his new product, Jeremy's Razors, is a fabulous idea. So I don't know if you saw the commercial. It's very, very funny. He did a very good job on it. But from a purely culture war standpoint, this is actually exactly what we need. Because the commercial is funny, but the product is actually real. And we only need, we don't need a, an entirely parallel economy And we've talked about parallel economy before, meaning when woke corporations try to cancel conservatives or refuse service to conservatives, how conservatives need an alternative say, okay, we don't need you. We don't need you, big tech. We don't need you, YouTube. We have Rumble, an apparatus that's built in a way that can't be canceled. We actually only need a few viable, successful businesses like what Jeremy has hopefully created, remains to be seen how successful it is, but I hope I'm rooting for it. We only need a few of these businesses In order to show the woke corporations that condemn conservatives for being conservative, like Harry's Razors was, that's what Jeremy's Razors was created to compete against, to show Harry's Razors that, listen, if you degrade half of your business, if you, if you condemn Half of the American people. This is going to cost you financially. This is going to actually harm your business. And we only need a few of these businesses to be successful and to show the woke corporations that if you're woke, your business is going to suffer for it. Before woke corporations actually think twice before they engage in that woke virtue signaling to um, to begin with. So it's we don't actually have to build an entire parallel economy across our country. In every instance, you know, one restaurant for leftists, one restaurant for conservatives, grocery stores for leftists grocery stores for conservatives, you know, we don't have to build all of that. We just need a few successful competitors that can show what corporations, what happens when they actually have competitors. And then we need people like Ron DeSantis, politicians in positions of power, who can identify when they have the power in a negotiation with a woke corporation, the woke corporation actually isn't holding something. In this case, Disney isn't holding something over DeSantis's head. That if DeSantis refuses to cave, then DeSantis's constituents are going to be the ones who suffer. Thereby, maybe motivating DeSantis to act in his constituents' job interests versus the ideological interest. So it's very interesting to watch this play right happen. To play out right now, to watch this happen. But this is what happens when these cultural battles are fought at the state level. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like having a first aid kit, but not keeping it stocked up. Well, every time you connect to an unencrypted network, whether you're at a cafe, hotel, airport, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. I'm talking your passwords, your financial information, It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. You just need a cheap hardware and a smart 12-year-old could probably do it. Your data is very valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal information on the dark web. Now, fortunately, we have a solution to this. We have ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It's super secure. It'd take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It's also easy to use fire up the app, click one button to get protection, that's it. It works on all devices, phones, laptops, tablets, and more, so you can stay secure on the go. I personally like ExpressVPN because I travel a lot, I'm in airports a lot, I don't have to worry then about my identity being stolen or my family's safety or security online. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Liz. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash Liz. So this is what happens. What we're seeing play out in Florida, the success of the parental rights and education bill, this is what happens when cultural battles are fought at the state level. And we've talked about this briefly before, but in in more of the hypothetical sense, this is the very concrete sense. So at, at one point, Democrats waged a very successful campaign, cultural campaign against conservatives and liberals said listen we want the separation of church and state we don't want your morality your religion to be in our law because it's not fair to those of us who have different belief systems and they, they called this tolerance they say we don't we don't need you to accept our ideology or our lifestyle we just want you to tolerate our right to live this way our right to hold this belief system and conservatives naively said okay Okay, we'll take our morality out of out of out of state laws, we'll take our morality out of legislation, and we'll just we'll just leave the absence of morality to allow everyone to make the choices that, that they think are best for their lives. Now, in a in a utopian sense maybe this would work. In a practical sense, here in the United States, this hasn't worked. In a practical sense, what's happened is the absence of religion or the absence of morality in, in state laws has, has left a vacuum that allowed the left to actually legislate their version of morality. Now it's a twisted, warped version. It's not actual morality, but it is the principles along which they structure their ideology. And it's allowed them to actually codify their Ideology into law. Now, when their ideology is codified into law, that forces us to adhere to it. It forces, it impacts our 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 persons. It impacts our families. It impacts the education system. It ultimately impacts our ability to even practice our own belief system. And so, what we're seeing in Florida is the reversal of this mistake that conservatives made. And conservatives made this mistake primarily around the gay marriage debate. You know, of twenty twenty five years ago. Um, we're we're seeing this this reversal in Florida where where Ron DeSantis is saying, "Well, wait a second, we're not going to have the absence of morality in our state law, we are going to acknowledge objective truth. And what I mean by objective truth is really what we're facing in our nation right now isn't just a political battle, it isn't just a culture war, we're actually facing a spiritual battle, or we're engaging in a spiritual battle in our nation. And one of the questions that you have to ask when you are engaging in a spiritual battle is, are we going to acknowledge objective truth? Because reality exists whether or not we acknowledge it whether or not we want it to be that way it's it simply is objective truth is truth it is reality um so the question is are we going to acknowledge objective truth and reality or are we going to be moral relativists are we going to instead embrace modernity which is the idea that your conscience and your conscience alone how you feel about it dictates right and wrong And so what happens, and like I said, we're watching this play out in Florida, but it's very, it's a very important blueprint that we should all be learning from. Um, What we're watching play out is if we acknowledge that objective truth is that it exists, then it's very obvious that kindergartners should not be taught about transgenderism. It's very obvious that parents have a right to know if their 12-year-old, their 6th grader is transitioning genders, and they have a right um, to get that information. Therefore, meaning we should prohibit teachers and school administrators from refusing to give that to parents or lying to people's parents. So this is, this is really a spiritual battle that's happening in our nation. Are we going to be a nation where we put this this false idea of tolerance on a pedestal higher than objective truth? higher than reality. And remember, it is a false idea of tolerance because in a utopian system, yeah, it would be great if we could have the complete absence of morality and laws and everyone could make their own personal decision about how to live their life. But that's not what's happening. What's happening when we remove objective truth from our law, the left is swooping in and they are, they are Imposing their morality on us through government, through governmental institutions, and through legislation. I mean, you can see this in California with the law that actually um, could cause, could imprison nurses. If they misgender a geriatric patient, you can see this in California again with the pro-life crisis pregnancy centers that were at one point forced to advertise free abortions, even though that's obviously contradictory to the entire purpose of their being, their their existence and a a violation of their their free speech. You can see critical race theory that's being taught in schools across the country. This, This is the leftist ideology that they have imposed on us through governmental institutions, through legislation, through law in this, this tolerance vacuum, this absence of religion, this absence of acknowledging that there is objective truth, even if the objective truth is something that people on the left don't want to, don't want to acknowledge or don't want to live their lives surrounded by. That's why Florida has, that's why the eyes, all, the eyes of the nation are on Florida. This is why Florida should be a blueprint for what states across the country, how conservatives and states across the country should take back our country, take back our states, take back morality and protect children. It's not just individual rights, it's children's rights. It's family rights. It's the rights of people to live according to objective truth. And when objective truth is obliterated at the state level, then individuals and families don't even have the right to instill that value to teach their children that objective truth exists and live their lives accordingly. There's also, by the way, so uh, people across the country, by the way, can see this, we, we can see this happening. But there's an there's also an obvious common sense reality that we can see. It's not just these these deep existential objective truths. There's also common sense reality that we can all see. And in this case, I'm talking about Joe Biden. So how can we not talk about this? Joe Biden's gaffes, at this point, um, I, I've spent quite a bit of time laughing, At Joe Biden in the last year and a half. I mean, him falling up the stairs. I don't know how many times I played that video. It's quite funny. That's really quite funny. And the way that, you know, um, when he when he said like, hey, they're fat, or look fat. I mean, that's just objectively humorous. But this is very different. What we're seeing Joe Biden do right now, like gaffs are when you fall up the stairs. But a gaff is not when you accidentally almost start a nuclear war with Russia. Because of what you say, what you intentionally or unintentionally say. I I don't even know whether he's saying these things intentionally or whether he's so senile that he's saying these things without any knowledge of what he's saying. But some of the things that Biden has said this week that are being labeled by the mainstream media as gaffes he has told US troops that they are going to war in Ukraine. He has essentially called for regime change in Russia, saying that Putin cannot be in power anymore. He has said that he will respond in kind if Putin uses nuclear weapons. And then when he was asked about this, he said that he wasn't walking anything back. He said that these views reflect his personal views on each and every one of these these matters. And this is where it becomes something that I can't laugh at anymore. This is not a gaffe. This is not some old dude tripping up the steps. And the fact that he's on the political opposite side of the aisle makes it a good target to make fun of. No, this is a national security risk. This is a legitimate question. When you sit down at, at, at the dinner table, you're talking to your spouse. Are we going to go with war? Are we going to be in a war with Russia? Are we going to face nuclear war in our lifetime because of what Joe Biden is saying? This is a national security risk, something that can impact every one of our lives in this country, all of our children's lives. And as I said, it's it's not a joke anymore. I mean, Tucker Carlson this week was calling for the 25th Amendment to be invoked, meaning that the cabinet members of the Biden administration get together and say that and vote on the fact that Joe Biden is not competent anymore, that he's mentally unstable, and therefore they 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 remove him from office. Now, I, I, I don't think this is a good idea, because what are we left with then? We're left with Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, who Um, you know, just waxes philosophical about the significance of the passage of time, doesn't even know that Ukraine is not part of NATO. Um, But this is something that we as the American people need to be thinking about really seriously. What is the recourse? What is the recourse when we possibly are going to accidentally be pushed into a nuclear war with Russia because Joe Biden is so out of his mind, geriatric and addled, that he's saying these things that could tip us in already a situation that's on the edge, could tip this situation into an actual war. And when I'm sitting here thinking about this question, what is the recourse? I think, well, okay, so if we end up landing, if if it results in nuclear war, we know it's Biden's fault. But that's not something that I want to be right about. That's not a prediction that I want to come true and say, oh, I, I said if Biden did XYZ that it would result in in nuclear war with Russia. No, we want to prevent this before it happens. I mean, th- this is the most serious case of elections have consequences that I've ever seen. And it's one of those situations that should cause each and every person in this country when they enter the polling place, when they're about to mark their ballot to put aside some of the mainstream media sniping, the partisan bickering, and really think, is this someone who is capable of leading our country? Is Joe Biden fit to be commander-in-chief? Or is this a senile, radical leftist president who might accidentally push the United States into a nuclear war with Vladimir Putin and Russia? We have to put as many checks as possible on this insane person's capacity for power as soon as we possibly can. I'm talking about Congress after we take back Congress in 2022. Taking back the Senate in 2022 has to be a priority because Congress will ultimately vote on whether we go to war. If Biden accidentally pushes us into a war with Russia, Congress ultimately will vote on whether we go to war here. Congress has a right and they have a responsibility to constrain Biden. Another word for that is to balance Biden. That's why we have three separate branches of government to constrain Biden before he forces us into a nuclear war. And again, I, I I understand how heavy of a topic this is. I understand how easy it is to laugh at Biden, to make fun of him, to mock him. And there's a time for that and a place for that. This is really serious. This is no longer a Biden gaffe. If I see a headline that says Biden gaffe, then I know that that person writing it or that person reading the headline is not only an unserious ideological partisan on the left side of the aisle, they're idiotic and they're dangerous. They're protecting a man who could very well lead us into nuclear war. And that that should inform everybody's vote, regardless of whose side of the aisle that you're on. I also want to talk about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was in the hospital, and while he was in the hospital, the mainstream media started levying attacks against his wife, Ginny Thomas, for texts that she sent to the Trump administration or to Trump administration officials um, following January 6th and following the November election about the election integrity, and we are going to talk about this in a little more depth um, over on Locals. This will be a segment for Locals VIPs at LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. Please join us to talk about uh, the Ginny Thomas text messages, com slash locals, head on over there, and we'll see you over there in just a minute. Thank you for watching, thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay, executive producer, Chad Abbott, director of photography, Kevin McRoberts editor, Alejandro Figuerella, sound mixer, Robin Fenderson, director of marketing, Emily Washler, production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler, and senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.